0: So we do think it's there's a huge opportunity here. And a lot of our users really love our product, which is super exciting for us. And they love the experience of working and, and maybe potentially really what we offer for real estate investors is a way to de-risk your portfolio. Because if you, sp- okay, I'm gonna spend $100,000 on Airbnb, cool, it was in Tahoe, and then there's the massive forest fire in Tahoe, and then I lost you know three months of revenue, that's not very fun. But if you said, okay, well, I'm gonna spend 10K across 10 Airbnbs, then you've really de-risked your real estate portfolio on the Airbnb side. So that's one thing we offer.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fourth season of Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. Real estate investing is not rocket science, but it's not a fairy tale either. It's an incredible investment vehicle that builds and grows wealth. I have done it, and this is why so many of the wealthiest people in America, and in the world actually, invest in real estate as well. Listen in every week to learn about all the different real estate asset classes which strategies experienced and successful investors use to live their best lives and the processes to do it. Don't reinvent the wheel. Just listen in every week to grow your knowledge along with me and to move your finances to a place where you can live an extraordinary life. This show is sponsored by my company, Blue Lake Capital, where we help passive investors grow their wealth through large multifamily investments and funds. To learn more about my company and invest in with me, visit www.bluelake-capital.com. Welcome to Ready to Scale Season 4. Let's get started. So Jimmy and Brian are here with me today, and you know we heard about their interesting background, and I wanted to welcome them to the show and have them just tell us about their journey into real estate and how they ended up buying real estate, buying short-term rentals. So Jimmy, why don't we start with you? Tell us, you know, a little bit about your background and how you ended up buying real estate.
2: Yeah, so thanks for having us. First and foremost, here, Ellie, of we started from brian so his background is gonna tie into everything that that i'll touch on but we've known each other since we both went to uc berkeley and it's always been something that i wanted to get into in terms of real estate but never really had an idea what was the best path into it so brian and i we've i can't believe how much older we're getting now but over the decade <laughs> plus that we've known each other we just stayed in contact post college and he had this great idea for cloud castles and it started me on this journey into real estate because we both come from the tech background and we're trying to bring that first principles mindset that's deep in the tech space into real estate with castles. So I won't give away too much of a spoil here for the genesis of castles because that's on Brian's side, but that's a little bit about my background.
1: All right. And Brian?
2: Yeah, great to be here. And thank you for having us. So, so Jimmy and I, and
0: I have known each other for a long time. We don't want to date ourselves too much for like pre-iPhone <laughs> days. Uh, and we would actually, Jimmy, after meeting him for a little bit, he invited me out to Lake Tahoe for, to go with some friends. We had a great time and kind of discussed after the trip, like, wouldn't it be cool if we just owned some real estate that we could use when we wanted to, and then ultimately have an appreciating asset that's a revenue driver, passive income. And so that kind of was the seed of it. And then I actually grew up doing a lot of construction all the time. My dad was a contractor. So I just uh, happen to know the field pretty well, and then we have a software background. So we said, let's combine all these things together, which is really the ability to kind of group individuals together who want to get in real estate. Is you know really lower the barrier to entry to real estate. It's a very expensive. Typically, you know, it's getting more and more yeah. of a rich person's investment club, and that's not what we want. And that's not good for society as a whole. In fact, we should lower the barrier to entry to real estate so anyone could get in really easily and have a sophisticated investment strategy and a simple easy to way a simple ui to do it with so that's kind of what started cloud castles and that's ultimately the dream is for anyone to own real estate anywhere and yeah we've been at it for about a year and a half and we have quite bought quite a few uh, short-term rentals happy to talk about the different locations we have and had some fun adventures on the way and we're honestly just getting started on how much we're going to grow
1: yeah yeah absolutely and you know it's interesting because a lot of blue lakes investors are actually they own you know short-term rentals and it's something that you know they do that they invest with syndicators and they kind of mix their investments and diversify their portfolio i want to talk about and obviously start with the asset part of the of the show today and of course, you guys are buying short-term rentals. What are some you know, pitfalls or, or challenges that if someone wants to purchase or start purchasing short-term rentals that they should be aware of? And how do you handle those challenges?
2: Yeah, I think it breaks down into two categories. I'll let Brian focus on the top of funnel, which is acquisition and renovations. And then there's also managing a successful mm-hmm. short-term yep. rental. Many pitfalls on both, but Brian is the the wizard, as he mentioned, with the contractor's background. So, Brian, I'll let you speak on the top of funnel here for finding and and building great short-term rentals. Yeah,
0: so I think there's a lot of components to it. The acquisition of the property being first, I mean, assuming you don't have a a property that's ready to Airbnb, you you have to go out and kind of buy one. So what we do is employ a lot of machine learning to basically scrape MLS data and get a sense of which houses at least at face value have pretty high earnings potential. So there's a lot of data, you know, Airbnb has been around for like 10 years. So there's millions of data points. So you can run a pretty sophisticated model to understand the ROI involved. And then you have to find a, a very friendly Airbnb area. So that's very important. You know, you don't want to be dealing or spending a lot of your bandwidth dealing with counties and going back and forth on permits. There's typically like a really good, some areas that are really friendly towards Airbnb. So you want to approach them and and kind of centralize your stuff there. And then the actual renovation is key. So it's a very competitive market. You want to be in the 75th, you know, 8th percentile of the Airbnb listings you know, something that goes into that is like the room count is really important. You typically want to have higher room counts is typically better and you can actually get more guests in there and they can have like maybe a good group experience as opposed to just maybe like having a, you know, it depends on the market, but basically you want to analyze all that data, make an offer, and then put some really good, well-thought-out renovations in there. We typically like to include a lot of art in our Airbnbs, really make it something, uh, we call it instagrammable stuff that we like to add which people really appreciate we have one spot in miami for example which sold out really fast and we put up like this really cool like wooden heart with all these flowers around it and people love it and apparently like everyone <laughs> apparently we just get nothing but bachelor parties there which is great
1: <laughs> is it great
0: yeah they love it so, yeah so they, they like it and so you try to have a really good feng shui and then all this kind of adds up and, and there's renovation costs as well. And that could, you can could spend a whole podcast on just renovation costs and, and all that. But at the end of the day, you want to kind of have all your ducks lined up and just hope for the best. Huge amount of seasonality to Airbnb. So you really have to yeah. take that into account. You're going to have two seasons where you'll make almost all your profit for the year and the rest you're just kind of coasting to kind of pay for the mortgage.
1: What are those seasons?
0: It depends on the market. So Lake Tahoe, for example, actually has July summer's peak and then winter ski season is like mm, a, a secondary makes sense. But fall spring. It's going to be real slow. Typically we choose pretty much areas in the sunbelt. Like Miami is a great example because it can get sun all year round. It's also a yeah. case destination Vegas is another good one. So you really want to be in markets that where rich people play potentially all year round. That's right. Interesting.
2: Mm-hmm. And then on the management side, in terms of pitfalls of running your own business, my suggestion to anyone listening to this is automate as much as you can. There are a lot of tools out there. The two most popular in the space are Guesty and Onores. I don't really care which one you use, but I care that you don't spend your time doing this when you can have tools that can do it for you. And the other piece related to this is the best that you can, if you have the time, try to self-manage because you're going to spend anywhere from 25 to 40% of gross revenue hiring a third-party manager. When a lot of the stuff that they'll do for you, you can honestly do on your own by automating it. And from what we've seen, it will not take more than a couple hours a day if you set up everything right, which includes your PMS, property management system, includes your cleaning, and then includes your handyman. You may not get those all right on the first try. We'll we'll be the first to tell you that's happened to us a handful of occasions. But if you have those set up, then it's as simple as probably not more than an hour if you just have one short-term rental. In terms of managing, but it's really tuning in those systems and making sure everything is flowing smoothly, so you can not have to be so much in your business instead of focusing on growing your portfolio.
1: That's uh, actually a great advice, and that's also a good segue to the process part of automating short-term rentals. What platforms have you used in the past that you would recommend listeners to use if they want to automate their short-term rentals or Airbnbs and make things easier for them?
2: Yeah, as I mentioned, Guesty or OwnerRest mm-hmm. for a property yep. management system, everything mm-hmm. from scheduling to automating messages to seeing all your revenue in one place, those are great. Of course, you have to be on the platforms. So yeah. Virbo, Booking.com, Airbnb. We use a pricing algorithm. So you can use Wheelhouse, Price Labs. There are many out there, but those are the two most popular ones that we recommend. And then good old G-Sheet, G-Docs to keep track of your systems so that you have a, a standard operating procedure you can pass on to your cleaning crew and your handyman. So as you are starting, you probably don't know anything, but there's many different resources you can rely on on Google, but just make sure that you, you have tools in place Again, so you're not spending hours every single week on your business instead of just managing your portfolio from abroad.
1: And then you can save some money because you're not paying a third-party company to do, and they're probably using similar platforms to do it for you.
2: Yeah, you can yeah. save a lot of money there and that's what we tell everybody. I mean, even for our investors, we only charge 5% because mm-hmm. we're keeping equity in these properties. So if you come in and are what we call reverse syndication It's not a lot of money because we still want to preach what we practice, right? Or practice what we preach, as they say. So that's important for us to not be like most property managers out there who are charging an arm and a leg.
1: Got it. And do you use any automation when it comes to selecting the markets and buying the short term rentals, the assets that you want to put back on Airbnb?
0: Yes, yeah, so we do some automation in, in kind of flagging which properties are high earning potential. So we'll scrape, well, we have a bot, a scraper bot that will run all the properties in the NLS through a market, sorry, like a, a model that will spit out like a pro forma, with pro forma being like a breakdown of all the financials, like what's the total cost, you know, what's the estimated revenue per year, what's the you know amount spent on Wi-Fi, it's out a cash on cash return number and all that. So we will, we do automate that part of the process for the acquisition of the properties.
1: Got it. And how are you able? And this is a question that I've wanted to ask since the beginning. How are you able to find the right asset? I mean, it's not a secret that the single family home market and the condo market has been extremely competitive, very expensive. We're actually recording this on May 18th. So I'm seeing some softening in the market, but it it may take a while for the prices to significantly go down. The supply is not huge. You know, not many people want to sell their homes because, again, it's kind of a chicken and egg. Where are they gonna go and what can they afford with the huge profit that they just made? Everywhere else is pretty much, you know, expensive and increased pricing is kind of an issue how do you navigate this how do you deal with the rising you know prices because by the end of the day you still need to make some money unless your strategy is different and you want someone to just pay for the mortgage and you don't care about cash flow but what do you do with this extremely extremely competitive single family home market that is it's still very challenging to find a deal that makes sense
2: i'll talk to the numbers side and then i'll yeah. let brian we actually have a fun story around how to put together a competitive offer that Brian can share. But in terms of the numbers, you hit the nail on the head. Do the numbers make sense? And we have a minimum hurdle rate for our company of 15% cash on cash return. If we can hit that, even with a higher purchase price and a higher interest rate, then we feel confident in the deal. So it really just goes towards, as Brian alluded to, knowing your markets, knowing what to expect based on potential revenue in a market, and if the revenue supports the current costs, great. You can always refinance on the back end at a lower rate. That's, that's not ever going to be an issue. But investors should not lose confidence if they see the deal work out on paper. Now, getting the house is a whole other story. But Brian has a fun story in terms of how we, we do that. Yeah, and I'll just you know, speak to another part.
0: Is we actually really like doing fix and flips the most, just because there's a huge amount of opportunity to get the, the cash out refi. If your audience is familiar, we basically, for example, one property in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, which is a pretty popular Airbnb destination. The house was just beat up. It was like really bad. There's like a hole in the wall. You could like yeah. walk out from not the front door. You know, there is like it looked like there had been 15 dogs living in there, and the carpet. And then we came in and we did purchase. We, we went to an, uh, our money lender to acquire the property. And basically renovated it using a burst strategy. Says buy, refinance, or renovate, refinance. What was the other one, Jimmy? There's another. I
1: think repeat is one of them. That's
0: right.
2: Repeat, repeat, repeat. That's That's correct.
0: So we were able to turn the property into a really cool spot with like a hot tub and movie theater. And then we, our appraisal value was just through the roof. So we were able to, we are able to pull out some cash out of the home. And I think that's better for like. Society as a whole. If, if you know, you don't want. To, we don't want to compete with folks who are trying to buy like a first-time home or something for their family. Like that's not really our market. We want to maybe go to a vacation destination. Where we're competing with other people to buy a second homes, and we're actually giving more people the opportunity to own real estate because we typically we have between five to thirty-five investors in a particular home. So we want more people to own real estate, not less. And then also, if it's a fix and flip, that's a house that wouldn't typically. Get a lot of love, you know, on the on Zillow. So we we try to take that negative and really turn it positive. So we like fix and flips a lot. As Jimmy mentioned, we also do some good. We have some important strategies for getting kind of a leg up on the competition during a particular acquisition play. So one of which is we'll pay to do all cash offers. So we do all cash offers a lot, which are very attractive to buyers. However, we don't have all the cash all the time. We actually just pay someone to make an all cash offer and it's relatively affordable, all things considered. So like for you might save more money by making a cat all cash offer than you would if you just did a conventional mortgage or conventional loan. It's basically a double closing if that makes sense. So you you buy it all cash. Yeah. And then you do a conventional loan to the all cash buyer. There's a few companies that do that, like fly homes, I think an open door or two that are pretty popular, as well as like you can do it with some part money lenders as well.
1: Got it. Yeah. And that's definitely one way of being competitive and you know winning deals. And I can tell at least in multifamily, you don't always get the deal if you're the highest bid. The surety of closing is very important in. There's not a lot of owners or buyers that can actually afford all cash when it comes to multifamily, it's you know a big chunk of money. When it comes to single family homes, to rentals, it makes a lot more sense because I can tell you in Los Angeles where I am right now, if you're bidding on a two or $3 million home and you're not making a cash offer, you're at a disadvantage compared to all the other buyers that can do it. Yeah,
2: good luck, so, right?
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right. So I want to transition to our almost the last part of our conversation about strategy. And you, Jimmy and Brian, you're using a strategy of crowdfunding. If you can just talk a little bit about what it is and what you like about the strategy and also... Where do you see your company going moving forward with crowdfunding?
2: That's a great question. Brian loves answering this question <laughs> where we're, <laughs> we're going to take it. So tell them, Brian. Sure. Yeah. So we definitely believe that, you know, shared
0: ownership is a big part of the future, especially if you consider, you know, the cost of the rising home costs. And we think with technology, we can really enable anyone to own together in a really, in a great kind of symbiotic way. So we do think it's there's a huge opportunity here. And a lot of our users really love our product, which is super exciting for us. And they love the experience of working and, and maybe potentially really what we offer for real estate investors is, a way to de-risk your portfolio, because if you, sp- okay, I'm gonna spend a hundred thousand dollars on Airbnb. Cool. It was in Tahoe and then there's the massive forest fire in Tahoe. And then I lost, you know, three months of revenue. That's not very fun. But if you said, okay, well, I'm gonna spend 10 K across 10 Airbnbs, then you've really de-risked your real estate portfolio on the Airbnb side. So that's one thing we offer. Not to mention, we're building out our community. We we have dinners with all of our, we call them alpha investors or early investors in the property, and we all hang out and really get a community going, which is what we're really excited about, of folks who can learn from each other in real estate and just in life. So that's been great. Where we want to grow the business to is a little bit ambitious. We'd like to do, we're at around five or six cloud castles right now, spread throughout continental United States, but we'd like to scale up to around 100 in the next few years and then to 1,000. And then ultimately pivot the business into construction automation, which we think is the future of general real estate development, where we're moving more towards like an automation model, where it'll be a lot easier and affordable to own a home in different parts of the country. So uh, that's- 3D printing, it's coming. <laughs> it's, it's already here. Uh, yeah, in a lot of ways, <laughs> it's just not super cost effective. So we'd like to pivot the business in the next five to 10 years towards 3D printing of construction, single family homes, multi family homes.
1: Got it. And we're, you know, right now your company is, in terms of strategy, is utilizing the crowdfunding platform That and there are multiple platforms out there. Can you, maybe Jimmy, can you talk a little bit about how you guys are doing that and what you like about this specific platform or strategy?
2: Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, I was a recovering yeah. law student here. Allison. <laughs> you, you asked the guy who went to law school, but yes, I'm, I'm happy to answer this. There are yeah. Many different ways that we look at how to crowdfund. Our current structure, we try and follow SEC guidelines to the best of our abilities. So we actually have to cap the number of non-accredited investors in any one given property that we go after. It honestly sucks because to our mission of trying to democratize real estate, that means we can't do it to the fullest extent. So where we want to take the business on that side is other strategies where we don't have these limitations. Reg A is one where you need a little bit more capital up front, but if you structure it correctly, anybody can invest. We've also seen blockchain slowly into the real estate space, and that's another strategy that we're looking at. So really, all of this comes back to our goal of getting as many people into real estate as possible. So we're going to do that however we can. And right now, we work with the limitations of no more than than 30 in, in a specific property.
1: And if investors are interested in finding you, how can they do that? Do they go to your website? Do they go to any crowdfunding, you know, website or link? Or how does it work?
2: Yeah, they work through us. So you can just email me Jimmy at Cloudcastles.io or Brian B R Y A N at Cloudcastles.io. We also have a website. Same deal, Cloudcastles.io. And if you are an accredited investor, we can talk to you as well, because we have some strategies, as Brian mentioned, to mm-hmm. diversify your portfolio instead of putting all your eggs in one basket. If you're a retail investor, we have an app, and it's something that, that Brian built from the ground up to really make it easy to track all of your investments, regardless of what you invest in with us. So it's a great experience, no matter where you come from in terms of income-wise.
1: Awesome. Awesome. All right. So before we transition to the lightning round questions, any final remarks, any kind of closing remarks or tips for investors who are interested in short-term rentals?
0: One thing I would say is, you know, invest in a market you also enjoy. Don't just kind of invest yeah. for the sake of investing. Like the best reason to have a uh, short-term rental is that you can stay there occasionally. <laughs> so that's like right. find a market that's actually interesting that's to it. you. See, we see a lot of investors are like, yeah, whatever makes the most money. I'm like, well, you really get the most money or the best return if not only you have a good market that gives you a good ROI, but also you go stay at the house for basically free or with cleaning costs or whatever. So yep. that's not going to get the best return on Airbnb or short-term rental.
2: That's a great tip. My advice is treat this like what it is as a hospitality business. This isn't like multifamily or long-term tenants. You actually have to care about your guests that walk through the door every single day to stay at your property. So if you put together a great experience for them, the money will follow. But it all starts with your guests at your property.
1: So we have arrived to the lightning round questions. And my first question to all my guests is about your favorite hobbies. So what is your favorite hobby? If you have any time for any hobbies.
2: Oh, you see right behind me? My favorite hobby is hanging out on my private island. Right, Ellie? (laughs) Yes. My favorite hobby is either going to be reading, working out, watching the Lakers suck. This year has been tough for me and taking care of my 14 month old son. So he takes all of my free time and he's a joy to be around.
1: All right, Brian.
0: Yeah, my favorite hobby I would say is traveling and you can always mix a little business with pleasure there in the real estate industry if if you're smart. So I'm going to go travel a lot of the summer. So I'm very excited for that and I'm trying to make it to every continent by next year I'm short two, so I got some got a few places to go but that's my favorite thing you just learn so much about people and yourself and you interact with so many different people from so many walks of life so it's a great way to really grow your perspective so encourage anyone to travel more
1: interesting all right it makes total sense why you're in this industry if you like to travel Airbnb is is all about travel and short-term rentals are all about travel what is one thing that people don't know about you
2: I think most people wouldn't guess that I'm a recovering law student, as I joked earlier on the (laughs) podcast, but yes, I did graduate law school, USC, fight on, but most people probably wouldn't know that about me given my current role or or where I came from in the tech industry. That's a very tough question. I feel like pretty much an open book.
0: I would say most people don't know that I've actually built, been a part of construction of four different houses from the ground up, saw it all the way through. So that was a pretty fun experience. All right.
1: All right. And then my last question is about a book that you guys read that inspired you and you would like to recommend it to our listeners.
2: I'm pretty sure this has been said on your podcast before, but Rich Dad, Poor Dad was a seminal Great book, book. Yours, truly. Yeah. Awesome book. If for any reason somebody hasn't read this book yet, please go pick it up. It, it will open yeah. your mind to why real estate and really taking control of your future matters a lot in this world that we live in. Yeah,
0: it's a tough question as well. I would say one that sticks out. It's unusual that I wasn't expecting it to be such a good book, but it was. But it was actually Winston Churchill's autobiography. So mm. he was a accomplished writer prior to being a political figure, and he was also kind of a semi war hero. He was embellished a little bit, but he's a very good writer. And his biography is two parts massive. So he must have been really into himself. But anyway, the point is, he's a great book. Check it out. It's pretty inspiring, considering everything.
1: All right. Brian, Jimmy, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed having you on the show. And if anyone wants to reach out to you, I think, Jimmy, you we talked about the various ways to contact, you know, either one of you. So I wish you all the luck, you know, keep rocking and doing well with the short-term rentals. And again, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you for asking us. Thank you, Ellie.
1: All right. And that's it for today, guys. Be bold, be great and create your own kind of extraordinary life. And I'll see you on the next episode.